Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back for another episode of the History of Comics podcast, this time with the life of Basil Wolverton and his weird and wonderful art. Throughout every medium, there are eccentric artists whose talents are obvious, but so unique you're not sure what to do with them. A prime example in comic books was Basil Wolverton, whose strange depictions of monsters and worlds was instantly intriguing but also off-putting, pretending Wolverton from ever making a mainstream success. Nevertheless, it is this very uniqueness of his art that has led to his appreciation today. Basil Wolverton was born on July 9, 1909 in Central Point, Oregon, and by the age of four, he was already started cartooning while growing up in the 1920s in the Pacific Northwest. His father, Clarence, who was 32 and Canadian from New Brunswick, married Olivia Hayes, who was 18 and from Easton, Maine in 1904. The new couple headed west in 1905 after a developer in Sunnyvale, California offered free train rides to move out. They built a house there, and in 1906, their first child, Wilma, was born. However, the family later moved to Ashland, Oregon after the San Francisco earthquake. In 1918, Basil Wolverton created The Great Hall, a three-and-a-half by five-inch telegraph with illustrations about three boys who fall into a magical hole in the ground. In 1919, he and his family moved to Vancouver, Washington, just over the Oregon border. The air there would appeal to Basil, and he would live there for his entire life afterwards. At the age of 11, Basil drew a strip for the local farmer's market, selling for 50 cents apiece. While he was growing up, Basil also admired cartoonists like Rube Goldberg, E.C. Seeger, and Sidney Smith while developing a deep Christian faith instilled in him by his father. Wolverton also enjoyed building radios as a hobby, something else that would stay with him for much of his life. On New Year's Day of 1924, he went to Portland with a friend and his family, where he took in a silent movie and then a vaudeville show, where he developed what he developed a great love for. By 1925, Basil Wolverton was making a try to become a professional cartoonist, creating strips like Simple Simon and The Modern Inventions to sell to syndicates like The King Features, but with no success. Despite his growing interest in cartooning, Basil Wolverton turned down Charles Nelson Lanson's School of Cartooning and Illustrations, from which such esteemed cartoonists like Milton Kniff and Will Eisner used. Instead, Wolverton preferred to learn on his own, even if it led to some anatomical problems in his characterizations, that would result in his unique future style. However, tragedy struck when his father abandoned the family in June of 1925, and then his sister Wilma died in 1927 from rheumatic fever. It affected Wolverton so deeply he considered himself an atheist in the early 1940s. By 1926, Wolverton, now a high school senior, had his first professional cartoon accepted by the Chicago publisher's E.C. Odd Company, the future Ziff Davis, for America's Humor, a comedy magazine. After graduating in 1927, Basil Wolverton got a job at a local cannery while working on his comic portfolio. He did manage to impress editor Floyd A. Flesser, who wrote him on the May 26, 1928 from the Portland News and would later hire him. All the while, he worked uh, playing his ukulele in the individual vaudeville theaters. Wolverton would work for the Portland News for two years under Fred L. Bolt, but, he would die, but Bolt would die on May 27, 1929. When the paper doing poorly and no champion like Bolt, Wolverton would have to return to the cannery to help support his mother, along with going back to vaudeville. He didn't forget about his cartooning, as he started to develop both a comedy and a drama strip. The humor strip was Wolvie Wolfer, about the adventures of a dog, which was not accepted, while the drama, Marco of Mars, a space adventure, was picked up by the New York Independent Syndicate. 
However, Lester Lear wanted the art to be revised before publishing, encouraging the then 20-year-old Wolverton to do so. Some suggestions including not cluttering the page with Wolverton so much and for Marco to lose his beard. Ultimately, Marco of Mars would go unsold to the glut in the market, with the syndicate stating it was too similar to the current Buck Rogers. Wolverton would later try pulp magazines like Amazing Stories, where he submitted the strip Cloudbreaker, another science fiction story. This would be rejected as well, but received some constructive criticism in a letter from managing editor David Lessler on March of 1932, saying that the strip, which didn't fit Amazing Stories, but he believed Wolverton showed a talent at storytelling and should continue cartooning. Cloudbreaker and other stories Wolverine submitted were also directed by Astounding Stories, Weird Tales, Warbirds, and Flying Aces, though often returned with similar constructive criticism. Thankfully, Basil Wolverton's personal life picked up on July 9th of 1934 when he married Honor Lovett, his high school sweetheart, on his 25th birthday. She had lived in Vancouver since 1926 and after graduating went to business school, eventually getting a clerical job at the West Coast Life, a Portland insurance company. In 1935, Wolverton decided to contact agent uh, Adeline Alvord about working as a screenwriter. This prompted him to go to Hollywood, California in January of 1936, around the same time a local Portland radio personality and future legendary cartoon voice actor with such characters like Bugs Bunny and Barney Rubble, Mel Blanc, went as well. Wolverton's wife, Honor, agreed to this on the condition that it would last for six months while she returned to home in Vancouver. In Hollywood, Wolverton left his portfolio at the Hollywood Life, only to later discover the associate publishers stole his art to sell elsewhere. Ultimately, Wolverton felt used by Charles Ray, the publisher of Hollywood Life, as he was stuck with layouts and editorial work. Wolverton would later try to get hired by Disney Studios to work on their Snow White film, using his science fiction uh, Mickey Mouse for submission, but managed to be rejected along with 1,800 applicants as only one was hired. Wolverton would finally return to Vancouver in June of 1936. Deciding to refocus on uh, cartooning, Basil Wolverton went to New York City, the then heart of America's cartooning industry, to shop his uh, strip ideas. Again, Honor agreed to this on the condition he returned to work at the cannery during harvest season. In New York, Wolverton shopped around Detective Dan Dumb and Steve Grover of the Stratosphere Patrol. He was turned down again, but he returned home with a new idea in his head. He was going to try for comic books. Thus, he left samples with the United Features Syndicate in New York under Mont Borjali, an enterprising new publisher looking to publish his own comic, Tip Top Comics, where he would place his strips instead of licensing them to other comic books, thus becoming the first comic book published by a newspaper syndicate. Borjali would later set out on his own in September 1936 to start the Globe Syndicate and later acquired Midweek Pictorial and Judge, a humor magazine. Despite all this, Borjali made a point to keep Basil Wolverton's contact information when he left United Features Syndicate, believing he saw something talented in him. On November of 1937, Basil Wolverton received a letter from Mont Borjali to join him in his new comic book venture, offering $25 for each two-page script on the condition the publisher would own the characters and contents of any stories Wolverton created. Wolverton agreed and began to redesign his strips to meet the pay specifications, replying by December of 15th of 1937. Borjali encouraged opening the strips for color and used the pseudomen on them as well. Wolverton would soon go by such names as Dennis Langon, which he used on Dish Eyes the Detective, changed from a Detective Dan Dumb, as it was too similar to Dan Dunn, a current comic strip. 
This was done by the request of Barjali, as with Space Ox. For Space Ox, Barjali wanted the strip to be more realistic and even directed Wolverton to the Mellon Institute of Industrial Research and Scientific American on possible, possible realistic scientific futures. Mont Barjali announced his comic book, Circus the Comic Riot, to be published on April 20th, which not only featured Basil Wolverton's work, but also Will Eisner, Jack Cole, and Bob Kane. However, Wolverton was yet to be paid and informed Barjali he would have to stop because of it. It didn't help the disappointing sales on circus made them to decide to, to try newspapers for dish eyes in hopes of making it a daily, which Wolverton actually responded enthusiastically to. Ultimately, Wolverton was able to resign from the cannery to devote full time to cartooning. Unfortunately, the circus comic book failed, with the last issue appearing on July of 1938, ultimately ending Wolverton's professional relationship with Mont Barjali. Undeterred, Wolverton would make. Next, make pitches to Vin Sullivan, an editor at National Allied Publications, the future DC Comics, with a new strip, Dr. Slash, about a doctor who engages in some malpractice hijinks. Wolverton would also work on some more high-profile space features, Vulture to the Void, meant to be a Sunday comic, and Milt Archer, Archer, designed to be a daily. While pitching to Sullivan, Wolverton submitted the Centaur Publications, which accepted a seven-page Space Patrol story in 1939 about a fleet that monitored the solar system. This would appear in Centaur's Amazing Mystery Funnies, the first science fiction comic book. While originally conceived as a daily newspaper strip, Wolverton would eventually adjust the format for the comic book, but was so excited about having a regular feature he not only made his November 30th deadline, but submitted a cover for the comic, despite editorial instructions only to submit roughs as with editorial approval. Basil Wolverton made another pitch to DC's Vin Sullivan, this time with Meteor Murphy, which was a which wasn't accepted, but he did receive some constructive criticism from Sullivan, such as reducing the size of the art to fit the page format and changing the name to Martin over Murphy. Wolverton addressed most of the issues Sullivan raised, but instead of changed the name to Meteor Morgan, and it was received without reply, likely because Vince Sullivan had left DC at that point. In any event, it would be five more years before Wolverton would work with DC again. Despite these ups and downs, Wolverton was finally a paid professional comic book artist and able to set up a 15-page feature for Fox Publications, which was to be Space Hawk and the Creeping Death from Neptune, a revival of his Space Hawk series from the defunct Circus comic. Basil Wolverton created Space Hawk as a superhero story marking his entry into the genre about a thousand-year-old inventor and master of disguise who was able to locate criminals with his mind. Throughout all this, Wolverton produced one page a day, but that included penciling, inking, and lettering. He was told to remove Spacehawk's mask and to make the deadlines, trace Flash Gordon panels on carbon paper. This was a common practice with many artists at the time. This would be placed in Target Comics, published by Novelty Press, though the editors asked Wolverton to make the strip a little less weird, as parents' groups were starting to complain about comic book story contents. It did help he started to receive payments from them, though. Basil Wolverton would adjust Spacehawk for War Times, as many other comic book artists did, in Target Comics number 13. This comic was unofficially known as the Mobilization Issue, as all the stories took a pro-war tilt with World War II on looming on the horizon, complete with a splash page of Uncle Sam instructing each character to do their part in the war effort. For Spacehawk, he was tasked with patrolling the stratosphere to prevent invasions from other planets. Around the same time, he submitted Disc Eyes to six syndicates on November 1st, 1940, eventually sending 30 stories on the 13th to Hollywood's Wells Features, the only one that showed interest. Wolverton even tried a new strip, Peculiar People, but that wasn't picked up. 
He would write the timely comics about Meteor Man, and then Editor-in-Chief Joe Simon replied to Wolverton with a page rate of $8.50. Wolverton agreed and immediately made a new strip, Abyss Man, which Simon tasked him with. During all this, Basil Wolverton remained social and friendly, entertaining guests in his home numerous times a week. Wolverton also refused to work on the Sabbath until after sundown, which was Saturday in his faith, which was the Radio Church of God. His wife, Anna, remained a Baptist and even taught Sunday school. At one point, Wolverton thought about joining the state patrol, but it only went so far as to take a driver's test. While Wolverton did receive a check for his first Abyss Man story at $76.50, he received no word to continue with a second feature, prompting him to write Joe Simon, who replied Timely was currently busy with Captain America and the Submariner, but would continue soon. Abyssman appeared in USA Comics No. 1 on August of 1941, but was now changed to Rockman, with writing by Charles Nicholas, a house pen name. The character's origin was that of a descendant of one of the original white colonists in North America, who moved underground to establish Abyssmania. During World War II, they noticed the effects on the world and sent Rockman to assist the Allies, with the powers of super strength, speed, and vulnerability, and not needing oxygen to breathe. However, Wolverton would later be replaced on Rockman by Charles Wojowski, one of those who used the Charles Nicholas pen name by the third feature. As for Rockman, he would reappear decades later in the miniseries The Twelve by writer J. Michael Straczynski and artist Chris Weston, a 12-issue story that brought him and several other forgotten Golden Age Marvel heroes in the modern times, which also included Captain Wonder and Dynamic Man. Moving forward, on March 28, 1940, Basil Wolverton came up with Monster Man to send on the solar system about a giant godlike being. This was bought by True Comics, but ultimately not used as they decided to try for a more adult fare instead. During World War II, Basil Wolverton would receive a Class III deferment for being married with dependents, but with the pressure of servicemen during the war, that would soon change. Basil Wolverton later went to Portland uh, KXL radio station October 17th for a salaried position, eventually getting an addition on the, on the 24th. Meanwhile, he was developing a new strip, Powerhouse Pepper, about a powerful but dim-witted boxer, along with other strips like Dr. Dimwit and Scoop Scuttle, about a newspaper man, also sold as well, appearing in Amazing Man number 26 on December 12th. Lev Gleason eventually especially liked Scoop Scuttle having it appear in his Silver Streak and Daredevil comics and later brainstormed it to be in a digest form. The previous day, on December 11th, he wrote a Space Hawk where he attacked the Axis powers in the form of a Japanese destroyer, which is timely as the Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7th. This would greatly affect many living on the West Coast as one of the precautions the United States took against possible night bombings was shutting off the electricity after 7 p.m., leaving the area dark and quiet as the radio couldn't work either. Basil Wolverton would later work with Liv Gleason and then Timely Comics during the six-page story in Subnever No. 9 in winter of 1941. All the while, Wolverton was making steady work, allowing him to quit his job at the shipyard. It was helped by an offer for uh, Billy Bug, but now Wolverton was worried he would soon be drafted in the war as he was now classified 1A. It didn't help he was questioning his payments from Funnies Inc., who responded by giving him an $11 a page rate. Wolverton next produced Flap Flip Flop for Timely's Kid Comics while Honor returned to work as a city clerk. They also started to save money in rationing, gas, in rationing by storing gas and riding bikes more often, all part of the war effort. As America's war footing started to heat up, Wolverton did his part in the civil defense, getting assigned a gas mask, serving as a neighborhood uh, air warden, and getting fingerprinted to work as an auxiliary police officer. 
He even noted in his diary about the first shale's landing on the U.S. continent, which was the result of a rogue Japanese submarine captain attempting to attack an oil refinery in Santa Barbara, only resulting in minor damage, though. During this time, Wolverton reestablished his faith, becoming baptized in 1941 into the Herbert W. Armstrong's Radio Church of God, an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventism that innovated using the radio to spread their gospel. Wolverton would later be made an elder in the church in 1943, along with Armstrong and his wife, was one of six members in the church board who reincorporated the church in 1946 when it moved to its headquarters from Oregon to California. Unfortunately, back on the comics front, Scoop Scuttle at Liv Gleason's publications was delayed while his agent at Funnies Inc., Fitzsimmons, joined the Army Air Corps. Thankfully, some good news came when Timely upped his page rate to $18 and Comics House to $15, while Liv Gleason reported Scoop Scuttle was getting interest as a syndicated strip. Meanwhile, we also got a request for three more Powerhouse Pepper stories, 18 pages apiece, and another 16-page story on July 9th, though it was later revised about his language in the Powerhouse Pepper stories, with his editors reminding him this is a kid's book. Nevertheless, Wolverton turned it into his own comic book. On August 2nd, Wolverton signed a contract for a five-year deal on Scoop Scuttle through a United Features Syndicate. By December, he completed the 42 Scoop dailies, but when asked to do more, George Carlin, the editor, didn't give it a very encouraging response. Unfortunately, his contract with United Features was canceled on July 9th, 1943, but he was due a $1 final $350 payment. Wolverton then turned around and sold Scoop Scuttle to War, War H. Wise to appear in Candy Comics, only for his comic to be canceled after just three issues. In late 1943, Wolverton wrote to his boyhood friend Trevor Evans at the Pacific Radio Productions about doing a radio show. There he created Colonel Coot, which he sent to Evans on April of 22nd. On May 19th, he did his 25th Powerhouse Pepper story, but Timely didn't receive it. Meanwhile, Wolverton sought out spots at DC, Dell, Famous Funnies, Harvey, and Quality Comics. This would be to little avail, as war rationing had led to a paper shortage during World War II, resulting in comic books to contract from 64 pages in an issue to 54 or even 48. As a natural result, there was less demand for content to fill the pages, leading to less spots for Wolverton to pitch. Thankfully, he did receive a $198 payment from Timely, which gave him a little room to breathe and even allowed him an honor to take a summer vacation. Wolverton would later send Timely a 15-page Professor Jogs travelogue in mid-July, along with a two-page cartoon crime mystery, Lean Bean Green, Professor Miser, and picture poems for peculiar people, trying to see what would stick. He even tried other strips, like Dr. Wacky Hack the Wacky Quack, a third try at a doctor's strip, and Dauntless Dawson. However, these sales didn't amount to much, and Wolverton would list his zero income from June to August of that year. Wolverton also offered to produce a Sunday comic strip for Nitwick Court radio show starring Mel Blanc, but was rejected. On August 10th, Wolverton created the Culture Corner, with six features accepted by Timely Comics to be appearing in Joker number 17. Unfortunately, his lack of overall work led to him to inquire about work at the State Highway Department and later United Airlines, which he would turn down on October 28th as he received a $108 payment for his 25th Powerhouse Pepper from Timely. Wolverton would go to work at Edmunds Fuel Company, splitting wood for $20 a bundle, and his wife even helping at times. He was able to sell Culture Corner at $20 a half page with a script by Will Lieberson. To make ends meet, Honor returned to work as a clerk at the Vancouver Courthouse while Basil Wolfen would uh, try to uh, new business venture when he tr- would draw caricatures of people based on their handwriting. 
He also invented another strip, Salesman Sid, for Cinema Comics, but would return it, uh, have it returned to him unopened. Thankfully, Timely was still paying for Powerhouse Pepper. Sadly, on July, January 21st, Basil Wolverton learned his father had died on the 19th. Nevertheless, he kept working, created a Hash House Hank for Family Comics, an imprint of Harvey, though it will be returned as well. At least when Wolverton opened his return comic, it, it had some pointers from Secretary Harry, Helen Crumper for improving it. And we will conclude with this first part of the life of Basil Wolverton, which, as you can see, is a lot of ups and downs he struggles to get into the comic book industry. But soon, a crazy contest is about to appear that will lead to his biggest break in comic books. to talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Now it is April 14th, 2022. Time for the favorite comic book of the week. Flashpoint Beyond, number zero by Jeff Johns and Eduardo Russo, which uh, returns to the uh, classic uh, Flashpoint uh, universe created in the now classic Flash Flashpoint story in which Barry Allen Flash went back to stop the murder of his parents, but it led to a retroactive rechanging of the entire uh, DC universe, creating basically a new multiverse. And in this one, Thomas Wayne is Batman because it ended up being Bruce Wayne, his son who got killed in the alley, and he became Batman in response to a much more murderous one. Well, this one picks up or, uh, with the events left off, not only with uh, Flashpoint itself, but also when Thomas Wayne actually went to the regular DC Universe and met his uh, son, who was Batman, and is now returned. And, well, this Thomas Wayne wants to try to fix this world, but he wants to do it in some pretty sinister ways. Like I said, he's a more murderous Batman. Well, more murderous than Batman because Batman doesn't murder, but this Thomas Wayne does. And uh, they get some, some grisly consequences. Johns does a great job really establishing this universe and getting into Thomas Wayne's head, showing that he's a little twisted. He's and has uh, things wrong with him. Especially, and it kind of explains the actions he does, which are pretty messed up. Let's just say he tries to go to the root of the cause of Flashpoint in a pretty horrific way. And it's matched by, uh, matched by Hydrado Russo's uh, gorgeous, nicely gritty artwork. Of course, everyone knows from him one of her bullets, and this, his style is perfect for this series. Just a great, yeah, nice return to, to the, this uh, classic universe and the uh, story, and uh, hopefully we get to see more of it, because this, this one starts out great with a nice little cliffhanger at the end. So yes, that's my favorite comic book of the week, Flashpoint Beyond, uh, number zero. Join me again next week as we give the uh, concluding chapter to the life of Basil Wolverton. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself a good comic book.